are listening to the inaugural episode of the Current Reality Podcast, where we talk about staying rooted in biblical reality within the current of modern culture. We are your hosts. I'm Michael Clary, and with me is Wade Thomas. We're both on staff at Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, which makes this podcast possible. So, Wade, since this is our first episode of this podcast, you had the idea just a minute ago that I take a quick moment to talk about why we're doing this podcast just from my own heart. So um, I wanted to share just a quick um, narrative. The church that makes this podcast possible is Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, So I planted this church in 2010. And in 2010, when all the tools that I was trained in, equipped in, um, Tim Keller, In the City, For the City, those kind of ideas, they seemed to be uh, based on the premise that there was this neutral public square and that ideas, it was a marketplace of ideas where uh, Christianity could have a voice and atheism could have a voice and Buddhism could have a voice. And it's a simpler time. It was a simpler time. But but the presumption was that there is a a, a, a fairness mm-hmm. and a, an openness, a willingness to listen, a good faith reciprocity. It's like, hey, if I let you, Mister Muslim, you know, build your mosque and your your school there, well, you're gonna let me build a Christian school right across the street. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the I, I would imagine that this comes from Acts 17, at least as a as a dominant paradigm where you have these guys that would sit around and they would have these Mm -hmm. debates and dialogues and share ideas and let the best idea win. Yeah. Best idea win. Oh, here's this, this man, Paul, let's hear what you have to say. Some received what he said, some rejected him and some said, well, we'll hear more later, but there was a a good faith um, Mm -hmm. idea of, of, of listening to one another. Well, um, Aaron Wren is a, um, a, a man who has written about this, and uh, he's got this paradigm of neutral world, positive world, negative world, which he, what he identified in this piece was that somewhere in the mid-2010 to 2020 decade, there was a shift from neutral, what he calls neutral world, and neutral refers to the, the world was neutral in its posture towards Christianity, mm-hmm. um, into an openly negative. So he'd say, now we are in this, what he calls a negative world. Um, which it, in my experience, I've been a pastor for 13 years now, um, since we first planted this church, but I've seen this to where there is a, a, a marked change where the culture is more openly hostile to Christianity. And so over the last few years, as I've been thinking about this, I've, I've been thinking that there is a need for more resources that can equip people for living in the world as it is now and not the world as it was 13 years ago. I mean, even as we record, we're, this is almost, it's like a week before Christmas in 2022. Um, Can we wh- still say Christmas? Well, uh, wh- what could you say? What would be a... Uh, X, Xmas. Xmas. I is, eh, well, X is like, it's the Greek letter. True. It still means Christ. Plus, it's kind of like a cross, like sort of tipped on its side. Uh, yeah. but it's, it's the holiday season. The holiday season. The, right. the winter festival yes. of joy. We're near the solstice. Now. Yeah, winter solstice, winter holiday. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, that's when we're recording this. We're recording this around the end of this year because we want to start dropping episodes early in 2023. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you make a joke, it's like, yeah, uh, I, 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 get, I, I, I derail it quickly. I get derailed. But the idea is that we wanted to have a resource that is available 
for people to help equip them to live in the world that as it exists now and not as it was 13 years ago, mm-hmm. whenever it was, it, it was a different time. And over the last five years, I have seen significant changes in the, the posture and attitude towards Christianity. It is becoming more prevalent and okay to openly mock Christians. Um, you were just telling me a story yeah. about a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, so I, I haven't been able to research this, you know, to, to get the, the finest of details. So I won't be too specific, but essentially there was a restaurant in Virginia, uh, that is super pro gay, uh, and canceled the reservation of a conservative Christian group because that conservative Christian group says homosexuality is a sin. So you've kind of got two, two things going on here that we're trying to account for. One is, and this is what Ren, I think, uh, what I've heard him get at, Prior to uh, 2014, I think is when he says the neutral world. Yeah. So, well, let me let me put it this way. For most of America's history, it was an asset to be a Christian. It was a positive for most people. Yeah. uh, For them to hear that you were a Christian gave them a positive impression of you. You were more likely to be elected to the school board. You were more likely to get hired. You were more likely to be seen as a good neighbor. They were more likely to want to buy a house next door to you. Then at some point uh, in the 90s to, to around 2014, it kind of became a neutral thing. And it's it, for most uh, Americans, it was neither good nor bad that you were a Christian. They just it tolerated it. And then after 2014, and I don't know if he uses the Obergefell case as why he chose 2014, but that was... Obergefell was 2015 okay. in the summer. So, okay. but, but it, it was is, already, the rumblings yeah. were there. So at, at that point now, for the typical American or for most Americans, once they find out you're a Christian or certainly an evangelical Christian, it is likelier to be to be negative. They're going to have a negative yeah. impression of you. It is a deficit, right? So we're trying. So it went from being a, a credit to your account to being neutral to now being a deficit to your account. Yeah, your your identity as a Christ follower. So that's one thing we're accounting for is the fact that our people need the people in our church and the people we love and the Christians we know are going to have to deal with the fact that they are not going to be popular for being Christians. That's right. And that's been throughout church history, uh, something that Christians have had to deal with, but not something that we have been squarely faced with in the United States. Uh, This is, in our day and age, this is a new phenomenon. Right. So that's one thing. The other thing that I know both of us care about um, is the trajectory of ideas and what they can do to a culture. So for most of the history of the West, uh, at least large chunks of society the laws that we created, the lessons that we taught our children, the ways we structured society went with the grain of mm-hmm. biblical teaching. Uh, God made human beings, therefore we have rule of law, therefore we have private property, therefore we uh, punish murderers. Most of the institutions and structures and laws and, and uh, implementations of our society went with the grain of how God made the world and revealed himself in the Bible. It doesn't mean that all of those societies were good. Some of them we're not, but it means that for most of Western history, we were not opposed to core Christian truths. Now we are. And so mm-hmm. the, the trajectory of our ideas now is moving against the grain of how God made the world. People can say they are whatever they want to say they are. Um, there's no fixed meaning or identity to a human being or even to the world. Truth is not objective. Yeah. And so if we're not arming our people sufficiently to deal with the fact that these ideas are headed in a, 
in a pretty dangerous direction, uh, we'll lose them. We'll lose them. Yeah. Well, the, the scripture tells us what is true. Um, the scriptures identify for us, this is reality. And there is a, there is a spiritual realm that we can't see, but then there, it tells us about that we can trust what, uh, what our experience tells us. We live in a real world and that God has ordered this world mm. in such a way that reflects his glory, even though it has fallen, it is corrupt, it is broken by sin. That does not mean that it has lost any ability to communicate real things to us. But what we're seeing in our modern day now is a refusal to recognize, a refusal to go along with the reality as it is, and this sense that we can just create our own reality. Right. Men we, can get pregnant. <laughs> right. Which is, I mean, it's, it's an absurdity um, that is, that it's an absurdity beyond what would have been even remotely comprehensible 10, 15 years yeah. ago. But now there is such a pompous, arrogant presentation of pregnant men mm -hmm. that those who espouse these views act as though anybody who would doubt it or call it into question is a retrograde, right. backwoods, total uh, moron, imbecile. And, and we're supposed to just go along with that. Yeah. And, and, and it's not just these crazy kooks out on the fringes of society. These are educated elites. These are the people. Yeah, that I mean, I think Planned Parenthood's Twitter uh, a couple of years ago, they had that repeated. Uh, it, it was one Twitter post, but just said over and over again, something like some men have uteruses, some men have uteruses, some men have uteruses. I mean, this is like a major institution, yeah. a horrible one, but a major institution in American life. And it's saying something that literally no human being before 2005 yeah. would have ever thought uh, that sentence doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it, it, it literally makes no sense. But we've bought into the idea that we can declare it, we can say it, and it's because we have untethered ourselves from a transcendent moral standard, right. a transcendent reality that there is a God who created the world, who has ordered the world in such a way to reflect his glory, and his, his will is revealed to us in his word, the scriptures, and in the scriptures, we have both a, an ethical standard to live by and a means of salvation that is revealed to us as a testimony, written testimony of Jesus Christ. All of these things, are, these are not just theories. This is the world God made. Mm -hmm. And when we untether ourselves from that transcendent standard of God, then we really do have... As it says in the book of Judges, there was no king in the land, and everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And it did not end well. It did not end well. And you read the end of the book of Judges, it would, it would shock even modern mm -hmm. uh, sensibilities. It is so horrific. What the, what the chaos that that society had descended into. Yeah. And so what we see happening now is the, the beginning of the birth pangs, mm -hmm. I guess, of, 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 of a of a society that truly is coming apart. It is coming unhinged. And what we, I mean, like how many times in the last year or two have most people had at least occasionally the thought, am I going crazy? Oh yeah. Am I crazy? And you think you're crazy and you feel that way because you're hearing things and seeing things that are absolutely maniacally absurd. But then a year later, and even those of us who know that some of these things are nonsensical, 
have we've we've become sort of accustomed to them. Yes, I mean, so I, I it's a frog in a kettle. It, it, people who are under the age of twenty might find this hard to believe, but for most of the sort of like era when gay rights was even a thing, most people would not have thought that a, a supposed gay marriage was ever going to be on the yeah. on the table. It was you know we just were wanting those who wanted gay rights, those who wanted people to yeah. be able to do that publicly were basically saying, we just want, you know, same sex civil unions. We want, uh, yeah. the ability to, to be myself yeah. out in the open. But now it's only been eight years, seven years, something like that since Obergefell was ruled. But now gay marriage is, that's just normal. It's, yeah. it's normal for me to, you know, meet a man who says that he's yeah. married to another man. Yeah. So it's like the, the Supreme court has just, they so, they passed or right. you know they passed their ruling the Obergefell decision as though reality itself is under their jurisdiction, and then and we see that it really has had a monumental effect on our society, to where to question gay marriage now is right it's anathema in in many circles. So what we see happening is that all the cultural inertia is moving away from faithfulness to Christ. And that wasn't always the case. Right. There used to be cultural support structures. So you might have had an institution, um, let's say you say an institution that was founded upon some biblical principles. Mm -hmm. Biblical principles, I don't know, let's say the Ten Commandments. Right. To where you, um, if it's an educational institution, let's say, it could be totally secular, but we will reward you for hard work. If you give the correct answer, you will get a better grade than if you give an incorrect answer, because the ninth commandment is a thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. You don't want to bear false witness. We want to live in reality. It doesn't have to be overtly Christian for it to have some structure that is conducive to and supportive of a Christian worldview. But whenever that is completely removed from a society, now the cultural inertia moves away from faithfulness to Christ. And so Christians are finding themselves kind of like you're in a, a river. Let's say you're in a, you're saying a, a shallow river or, um, or, or an ocean or something with, with the current pulling you out. You're standing in this water and a current is pulling you. Yeah. You can feel it's pulling you, but you don't want to just float downstream like a dead fish. And so you have to anchor yourself. That's right. And so, you know, if I, if you ever go to the ocean, um, you're standing in the water, you feel the waves coming in and out, and it's a strong current. It can knock you down. And the best way to keep yourself from getting knocked down is to kind of burrow your feet into the sand and brace yourself for impact. That's right. And so what we want to do with this podcast is to help provide listeners with an anchor to stay rooted in biblical reality within the current of modern culture. So that's the name, the current reality podcast. I mean, there's the current reality as a to play on words, you know, just the expression. Oh, here's the current reality of the situation. But uh, it also is a play on words in that there is a real reality that God made and that we do ourselves no favors to deny. But we are being pulled in along with a cultural current. And we want to help people to burrow their feet into the sand, yeah. to, to drill down and be anchored in a biblical reality. So they're able to withstand the current of modern culture. Right. Which is, yeah, what Paul's getting at uh, when he, he said that he doesn't want people uh, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. He yeah. Is, he's basically saying, as human beings, we're not, I mean, he wouldn't have used this language because he didn't exist in an era with computers, but I do, so I'll use it. Uh, we are not merely like uh, 
binary computer systems that can just determine whether a given proposition is true or false and then act accordingly. That's not yeah. how human beings work. Yeah. Um, God made us this way where songs, stories, uh, emotions, all of these things play into our assumptions about the world, what excites us, what scares us, what angers us. Most of our behaviors and our habits are uh, formed within that kind of a setting. And so if you're not aware that you're in crazy times headed in a crazy direction, uh, where all laws and morality are going to be arbitrary or based on yeah. public whim, if you're not aware of that, yes, then you will wake up one day and, and be a different you. Uh, yes, All of the things that you were taught in Sunday school that you learned as a child from your Christian parents will be gone. They'll be washed away yeah. by this current that is is eroding yeah. or, or seeks to erode that. And so we just want to... Yeah, well, there's the scripture where you don't, you know, being tossed to and fro. It's like a, a ping pong ball mm -hmm. floating on the top of an ocean wave, just getting tossed to and fro because it has no weight, it has no substance, and it's just going to get carried along. And so what Scripture does, and what we're trying to do is to communicate the truth of Scripture, is it provides that tether. Yeah. So you have out in the ocean, you have like a buoy, which is there's, it's drilled into the, the floor of mm -hmm. the ocean um, or lake or whatever. And it's tethered with a rope or a chain to something that floats so that it can, it can move a little bit, but it's not going to be moved off of its mark. Right. And so as Christians, we will be, the current will toss us around, but we need to be anchored in something. And so what we are doing on this podcast is it's a, it's a combination of, um, we'll get into this a little bit later with discernment. But it is a discernment is the art of seeing what's there. It's, it's an art of seeing. It, it's literally just to discern. It's to see something. So we want to be able to look at culture and see what's there. Mm -hmm. And then correspondingly to that, there's prophecy. Now, we don't mean prophecy and the predicting the future or whatever, but, but just being a mouthpiece for the Lord to speak about the reality that we see. And Ephesians 5 says this, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, instead expose mm -hmm. them. So we want to expose things. Um, so as I said a moment ago, the podcast is called The Current Reality. Um, now there's another, there's another part of this, and it's The Current Reality podcast is a ministry of King's Domain. Um, King's Domain is a ministry that is enabled by the church that Wade and I are on mm. staff at Christ the King Church. Praise God for mm -hmm. um, the ability that our church has to avail us of the opportunity to do this. But King's Domain is a larger ministry um, that is, we're just getting it started, but it will, um, we'll just provide resources um, that is intended to be, intended to go beyond our local church body. It's, it's to benefit our church body, but it's also to benefit whomever would happen to be able and we'll communicate in such a way to where it's not so context specific. Right. So King's Domain, we have the podcast, we have a website that uh, will be um, uh, going live soon. Um, we'll have Wade has published um, a fiction book. I'm mm -hmm. publishing a nonfiction book on sexuality. Um, we will have a conference. It's a comic book, right? It's a comic book. Yeah. yeah. It's a. Uh, it's it's hilarious. Yeah. Man. You're just gonna kind of like the Archie comics mold. Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, but we have a, a, a conference uh, later on in April of 2023 and some other fun, exciting things coming up. But that's mm -hmm. that's the big picture of where this podcast 
fits. It's within that nest of valiant, joyous Christianity. We refuse to be embarrassed about being Christians. Amen. We love the Bible. We love God's word. We believe that he has spoken to us in our time, Mm -hmm. relevant things that we need to hear. And so we want to help connect those dots and be a helpful resource to people in this crazy time. Amen. (laughs) We live in crazy time. We do. All right. So let's, let's, uh, let's get a little more uh, specific on why we're doing this particular podcast. So there's a million podcasts out there. Uh, you know, they, they get very specific sometimes on their little, uh, I mean, you, somebody just told me the other day about the one about, uh, um, crypto creatures and like Bigfoot and how they're like, maybe, maybe, maybe crypto as in Bitcoin. No, not Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, what do you call cryptozoologist? Uh, where it's like they're they're looking for crypto. Like, what, what is what is crypto? Like secret or hidden? I think cryptic. Is what the, I'm pretty sure it's called cryptozoology, but it's like the kind of person who goes hunting for, you know, Loch Ness monster, Sasquatch, abominable, okay. abominable snowman, that kind of thing. I mean, some podcasts get super super specific on these topics. Why are we doing a Christianity podcast uh, in an era where there are already countless podcasts? Yeah. Uh, what What's the point? What are some of the points? Um, there are three reasons. Um, the first one is a there is a notable silence within mainstream evangelical Christianity on the vital, urgent, important issues of our day. Now, it's not as though nobody's talking about them. It is that they're the way that they're talking about them is not helpful ultimately, mm. and oftentimes I think they're missing the mark. Um, and we'll get into that in a moment, but the, generally speaking, the things that need to be said, there's a silence there. And so the topics in particular are issues of sexuality, which is huge. Mm. Like the reality of male and female itself is being denied, even though it is plain as day on, on the human body, sexuality, um, you have issues of race. So critical race theory, cultural Marxism, things like this. You have the role of government, the decline of culture. In the church, we have a theological downgrade that is happening. This was a controversy back in uh, Spurgeon's day, but yeah. I think we're seeing the same thing happen now to where there is a general lack of theological rigor um, about cultural issues and the way that the Bible touches everyday life. And when I say theological rigor, I'm not talking about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen or some other. It's four. Is the oh, four? Yeah. yeah. Bro. Yeah. It, you're wrong. You are wrong. <laughs> so, I mean. It's 17. Okay. It is 17. I found this obscure verse in the book of Daniel somewhere. Nice. No, I'm kidding. It's not these. I mean, those are abstractions. Right. Whenever people want to talk about um, theological issues or problems, they often will, uh, they, they caricature these discussions as though they have no real value. It's just an academic thing. but. Believe me, I mean, we, we are living this now. The church is ill-equipped on the whole to answer the most basic fundamental issues of human sexuality. Right. It's not that the Bible lacks answers. It is that we're having to answer new realities that are things, things that are being called into question now or even assumed to be true that are not true that the church has never even had to articulate before. And so there is a need for some theological rigor that you're going to be getting on this podcast. So I'd say the first one is a silence um, yeah. on these issues. 
Yeah, and it's not merely a uh, it's it's not as though the the culture is just uh, happens to be wrong on certain questions. It's that there's almost an emotional commitment, uh, a gut level commitment to falsehood. So the culture doesn't just happen to to be wrong on the value of motherhood or what what a woman is. It's that there's a commitment to no, it can't be what the Bible says it is. Yeah. A woman cannot be what the <laughs> she. I may not be sure what she is, but I'm darn sure what she ain't, and she is yeah. not. What you the know Bible what? Says. What? Yeah, uh, what Titus two says that she is, and she will not be saved by childbearing the way the New Testament says that we we know that. Whatever else we don't know, we know that. Uh, and so, a good rule of thumb is probably if you as a Christian can think of a particular topic, a particular area of human life where you would be tempted right after saying what the Bible says, you would be tempted to go. Now, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that area is probably the most important area for your day. Like that's where you need to be precise because that temptation is revealing that's where the cultural current is moving in the opposite direction. And of course, we're all tempted immediately after saying husbands are the head of their wives. We're immediately tempted. Now, I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying that you got to chain her up to the stove barefoot and pregnant. And that immediate desire to qualify and hedge is in itself revealing. It's a tell. Right. That's where we need to be firm and precise. Yeah. If, If you feel embarrassed or if you feel that you need to add additional qualifiers to to make sure that I'm not saying this or I'm not saying that that's a tell because there is something innate within you that knows there's some heat that would be coming your way right? if you're misunderstood. Because if our neighbor was wrong about Jesus being raised from the dead bodily, if he thought Jesus was not raised from the dead, almost none of us would go, no, Jesus was raised from the dead bodily. Now, I'm not saying we, we wouldn't do that. Yeah. If, if somebody is wrong on something that, to where there's no, uh, there's no cachet, there's no cultural import, yeah. and we just correct them on it and move on. Uh, but these areas, there's a lot of heat and hostility lot against heat. biblical truth. And so those are the areas where the world needs us yeah. to be precise for its good. That's right. So that's the first one, silence. Second one, discernment. Uh, there's a notable lack of discernment on the most pressing, pressing challenges facing the church today. Uh, I mentioned earlier about mainstream evangelical Christianity. Um, what we're referring to here are veggie tales, veggie tales. Okay. Yeah. Cause Bob the cucumber. Yeah. Actually, no, Bob actually, the tomato. Bob, Bob the tomato. Larry yeah. the cucumber. I, I need to brush up on my Jerry the gourd. Jerry the gourd. Yeah. Is that his name? Jerry? Yeah. yeah. I think that's about, uh, there's a, there's some grapes and peas. That's about it. That's about all I remember. Now I love the peas cause they're French. Right. Um, the, the Josh and the Jer- the Josh and the big wall, mm-hmm. whenever the peas are on top of the tower Yeah. and they have this, this French accent. That's pretty good. Yeah. Do not march around our city. That's pretty good. Yeah, all right. All right. I like to do voices. Yeah. Oh, you, you do voices. Yeah. We can do a running commentary on Veggie Tales at some point. We should do the rest of this episode in like a Scottish accent. Uh, yeah, we can do a second version of it. Um, there's a notable lack of discernment. Ooh, that was the most pressing challenges facing stick, the church Stick today. to French. Stick to French. Stick to French? Yeah. I don't, oh, yeah. That, that's pretty good. Yeah, I do. I know. I I've watched that. Shrek. Yeah. I know what a Scottish accent you think, sounds I mean, like. Mike Myers is from Canada. I don't think Mike Myers knows what a <laughs> Scottish accent is. Okay. Um, whenever we're talking about discernment, we're talking about media. So uh, there's some that would call it Big Eva, mm. but but it's there is an evangelical machine that uh, at one time 
represented mainstream evangelical thought. So Christianity today, mm-hmm. um, there's a newer one, uh, the Gospel Coalition, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, what, 10 years maybe? Yeah. Uh, but, Wheaton College or University. Yeah. Um, what are some other... Uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. Yep. I these used are, to be on staff with crew. Yeah. These are mainstream, Crossway. These are mainstream evangelical yep. institutions. So you have publishers, you have educational institutions, um, and they they represent Christianity, but they're, the thing that's difficult here is that they are businesses that need to make money. Um, and I'm not saying that that in itself, you know, as, I'm, I'm not saying that's even wrong, um, but but some of these like Zondervan, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, you can correct fact check me on this, but I believe Zondervan is owned by like a secular uh, publishing, like a big, larger entity. Yeah, that does sound right, as though maybe it's like Rupert Murdoch's corporation or something. Yeah, we'll look it up later, but that does sound familiar. Right, but the point being is that these are, they the, the primary interest is not fidelity to the truth of the gospel or right. fidelity to scripture or theological rigor. Um, they have, they're selling products, and that's fine. Sell products, um, but there is a temptation that I think we're seeing happen now. Is that the the they are they've gone a little squishy, mm-hmm. or they're unwilling to speak out because you, they could lose reputation. So if you think about um, if if a just as like an individual could face some heat if they took a hard line stand on a, a homosexuality LGBTQ kind of issue in the workplace, yeah. Um, that can happen at the institutional level that can happen with an, you know, like no institution wants to be known as the homophobic publishing house. Mm. Um, and so they're, they're going to be a little more careful in how they address these things. I'll trademark that phrase. I'll make it my publishing houses. Homophobic. We're the, we're the homophobic publishing house. Homophobic books. There you go. Huge market. (laughs) Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no. So, I mean, basically you're saying if you if you are a business who has to uh, continue to turn continue to turn a profit, you cannot be my primary voice of theological truth yeah. because you're, you're very your existence depends on continued revenue and customers. And so yeah. you're not your primary uh, motivating force is not Christian truth, yeah. making sure that I'm faithful to Scripture and to the God of Scripture. It's I have to be able to continue to draw in new customers and yeah, make money. right. And and if you think about how this works its way out, um, so I'm I'm a pastor of a church. I do the bulk of the preaching at our church. Um, when I'm going to preach the book of the Bible, I want to pick up some commentaries or I might have some other resources that I rely on. Mm-hmm. But I am if I'm depending on those resources, then I'm depending on the editorial and the publishing decisions that they made about what is and is not acceptable to be published by that publishing house. Um, through that editorial process, some things may get filtered. Um, some may be more independent than others, but others, they, they, there, could be some, you know, there could be some compromise there. So these things affect, they, they work themselves out into local churches. And then now that everybody has access to the internet, everybody's reading articles all the time, um, there's a, they can be trendsetters in the way evangelical Christians that in their own heart of hearts, they love Jesus, they love the Bible, they want to be faithful, and they look out on the landscape, right? and they're like, you know, it seems like my pastor and these blogs and articles and podcasts and other resources I'm looking to, they all say the same thing. They're all saying, you know, some something that may not be as faithful 
as as they could be. And so there's a what the point being here is that there is a lack of discernment on the most pressing issues. And and some of these outlets will claim to speak with a prophetic voice. Yeah. And you'll notice they will have a real strength in some of the things that they say. But if you notice, they're usually denouncing the wrong sins. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like straining at gnats and swallowing camels. Um, so there's a there was an article that uh made the rounds a little bit of a little bit of a controversy um that Crossway published uh on their website. Huh? I love it already. <laughs> yeah. I mean Crossway everything Crossway publishes is gold. That was you can't hear this you can't see the sarcasm on my face when I say that because this is a podcast. So I'm just telling you my face was sarcastic looking when I said everything Crossway publishes is gold. Okay, I so I can testify sitting across the table from you, Wade. You have this sarcastic look on your face. Yes, so correct, listener. Um, that it is that is verifiable. Wade is being sarcastic when he says Crossway is. What did you say? Your big that every, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I would work for Crossway in a heartbeat. Okay. So here's the thing. Like ten years ago, I would have thought you know of all the publishing houses, you go to Crossway and you you can count on reliable resources. Sure. Um, so, but I'm, but now I'm, I'm, I'm more hesitant. I don't know that I have quite the same. <laughs> I don't have anything against Crossway. I'm just basically saying every major evangel. It's not Crossway in particular, but it's every major because the one, the, the one you're going to cite here in a second is just a great example of all of the major Christian publishing houses are incentivized to go hard after the supposed sins or sometimes real sins that the culture already hates. Yes. And they're going to use super qualified kid glove type arguments against the sins that the culture really wants to protect. So we're going to go hard after racism. Racism is wicked. Full stop. No qualifiers. Homosexuality. Now, there's a there's a nuanced position here. There's a lot. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's patently obvious once you start noticing it. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah. So the example that I'm referring to here, there was an article that they published on their website. Um, it was something about the idolatry of motherhood. Yeah. I don't think that's the exact title, but that, I think that phrase, I were when motherhood and marriage become an idol, Mm. something like that. But the idea was, it was linking idolatry with motherhood. Um, okay. So technically, can you make an idol out of marriage and motherhood? Sure. Absolutely. So it's not wrong, but (laughs) boy, is that? Is that the problem that our size? So exactly. Like, man, man, I look out in yeah, America and I'm so just like, many. man, there's so many women out there that are making an idol just out having of having tons of children and fo- yeah, okay. yeah. So, it's like everybody's valuing marriage. Everybody's wanting to get married. Right. Everybody's wanting to have children and raise up families. Man, that's an idol. We in really- a day and age where we're getting married later than ever and having fewer children than ever, I think currently our birth rate in America is 1.8, which is below replacement. Below rate. replacement. So rate. in a day and age where we're having less children than ever before, where we're getting married later. Later than ever before, and where more and more women are working outside the home than ever before. We're going to publish an article in that day and place called The Idolatry of Motherhood. Yeah. That is sort of like in 1863, me publishing an article, something like The Idolatry of Freedom. You know, all these abolitionists, they're just yeah. focusing too much on freedom. Yeah. You can make freedom an idol, an, an idol guys. Okay, yeah, technically. Would you, you say that to a slave? Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, slave. Like, don't, don't idolize, don't idolize freedom. freedom. Let me tell you, freedom's got some real drawbacks. Exactly. It's not all. It's so you can say it. a true thing in such a way that, uh, you can say something that is true, but say it in a way 
that communicates something false. That's right. It is false that our day idolizes motherhood. That is false. It does not idolize motherhood. It holds motherhood in absolute contempt. It does. Now, Wood Wood Crossway published an article called uh, The Idolatry of a Woman's Career. Never. Which is more likely to be an idol in 2022 America for a woman? A career or motherhood? Yeah. Come on, man. When you're talking about an idol. Right. You would say career. Absolutely. Absolutely, that's more likely. If I go walking down the street right now and I just poll a hundred women at random and start talking to them about their lives and the things that hold utmost priority, which is most, which is going to be most represented across that spectrum, motherhood or their career. Come on. And so if you're crossway, you're thinking, let's say you have a, you've, you've been had, you know, the, the book, a book idea has been pitched to you about the idolatry of career. It's a women's book, idolizing career. Yeah. You know that there's going to be a market for that. There's going to be a problem, but there's going to be a lot of blowback. That's right. You're going to have a lot of women who are feminist inclined, yeah. who who are working jobs, and they 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 might get the wrong message. They might get upset or offended. It's it's not going to play. Um, and so they they talk about the idolatry of motherhood ahead, uh, instead mm-hmm. because that it, there's there's going to be you're you're carving out space for career women and 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 to say like, hey, it's okay that. It's it's okay for you to bury yourself in a career and neglect your family. Right. That that's kind of that's kind of the message that's coming through. It, and it, it's, and they would never put it that way, but that is the net effect. And um, it it just so it what we're trying to do here is we're trying to illustrate. It is obvious what is driving your your proclamation of a supposed truth. It's not it's not uh, you know just this totally neutral observation. Mm-hmm. That's not what's going on. It's you're you're saying the thing that you know will be less problematic. You're saying yeah. the thing that will be better received. Yes, yeah. So it, it's, it's sloganeering. Sloganeering. Well, the the issue is that it it a lack of discernment is it's it's not knowing what are the needs of the hour. Right. And if anybody would just look at the state of the American family right now, nobody. Nobody with with two eyes in their head right. would look at any of the data and say, "Hey, the the American family is in great shape." Right. So clearly, idolizing motherhood is not the problem. But for some reason, that's the article that is published. But nobody would publish the article about a career because right. that would catch you'd catch a lot of flack for that. Um, so a lack of discernment. Is that's the cycle. Let me hit, go ahead and move on to the third one, and it, it is a notable accommodation to the world in mainstream evangelical Christianity. And by accommodation to the world, there's a there's a number of ways you could put it. I, I think um, one instance of this is fear of man. Mm. So there's a I, I think specifically fear of man. It's not fear of man in general. It's fear of particular subgroups, sub people right. that that have some some cultural cachet right. or influence. So you d- you don't want to you don't want to anger the elites mm-hmm. or alienate the elites. There's a fear of women. You don't want to alienate your your female target audience. Yeah. You don't want to alienate LGBTQ+ plus, um people. Um you don't want to offend black people. Mm-hmm. Um so you're going to be very careful in how you communicate to different groups of people, and there's going to be a, 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 
an inclination to accommodate different subgroups in order to stay on their good side because right. they there is a certain cultural power that they hold. Very few pastors, writers, uh, politicians, uh, talk show hosts, very few people who work in ideas or words for a living are going to be afraid of offending uh, somebody who has a Trump bumper sticker on their, you know, 20 year old car that they pull into the trailer park where they live. Almost nobody's going to be afraid of offending that guy. Yeah. But we are terrified of offending those those people who move and shape our culture. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's it's not just fear of man, you know, in the abstract. It's fear of particular people. You're exactly right. Yeah. And I and I share it to this day. It's disgusting. Um, and I have to put it to death all the time myself. It, you, I, I fear the the elites of our yeah. day far too much. And, yeah, absolutely. and I also know the feeling of sitting across from a woman and having to confront her on her sin. It is more terrifying than having to confront a man. Yeah, there is something probably true across time and space in men where we don't want to offend women, period. But especially in our day and place where just everything female is lionized and valorized, women can do no wrong. Um, yeah, it, it's a fear, and it's one that you have to put to death. Yeah. You have to do what's right in spite of it. We can't yeah. simply go along with the... Yeah. What, what we need now in our day is resources who will um, resource and equip regular Christians, but also church leaders and ministry leaders, because um, there's going to be a lot of the evangelical elites, let's say, mm -hmm. Big Eva or whatever you'd call them, there's what we're seeing is that they do seem to be getting tossed to and fro and there is a need for a clear prophetic voice that will speak to the issues of our day the issues that we need addressed because we are facing a lot of crazy in the world yeah so there's a I talked earlier about discernment and prophecy as these two as spiritual gifts they're linked so like a prophet is a person who has seen something true and real, and they're authorized by God to communicate what they have seen to a particular time and place and context that they need to hear. Yeah. Um, now, I'm, I'm not talking about a... There's a lot of different ways you could take the word prophecy. What, right. The way that I'm using this word prophecy is to see what's happening in the world, to have eyes wide open, to see what's there, see what we see, what is happening, and then evaluate our experience and our observation in light of Scripture with tenacity and courage, mm -hmm. and then communicating to our cultural moment, believers, Christians in our cultural moment, here is how Scripture applies to this situation. So whenever your uh, HR department does a diversity, equity, and inclusion training, yeah. and they tell you, hey, today we're going to talk about um, showing respect and honor and dignity to our trans employees. And so everybody, you have to now um, put your pronouns in your right. bio and hang it on your name placard on your cubicle. Right. They are requiring you to deny, to, to go along with um, an, an agenda that is reality denying. So we need what do you do about that? Right. I see this question all the time. What do you do about that? And the man who sees clearly will be able to proclaim clearly. The man who yeah. see who has discernment will be able to guide someone who needs it. Yeah. 
But yeah, it'd, it'd be like if I'm in if I'm in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon and he erects his giant statue there, and then he issues out, uh, you know, he sends out the email to all the residents of Babylon. Listen, I want you to show dignity and respect and inclusion to my idol. So when we play the lyre and the harp and the bagpipe, you're going to bow down, and that's how we're going to show dignity to yeah. my giant gold statue of myself. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are sure going to look pretty bigoted when they don't. Yeah. But they're not going to bow because they see correctly. They discern correctly, yeah. despite all of the nice flowery language about yeah. why this idol is worth bowing down yeah. to. They, they're like a men of Issachar. Right. That understood the times. Right. And I don't, I don't claim to, to see everything perfectly and that I know, but it's like I have two eyes in my head and I am making a concerted effort to see things accurately and to have the courage to, to, I I had a pastor tell me once as um, just a a word of counsel, because he could tell that I was wrestling through some of these things. And he said, Michael, you need to see what you see. Right. And I thought that's, that's a strange thing to say. Like, what do you mean by that? And he said, you see things and you notice things and there's something within you that recognizes what's going on. And yet there's something within you that starts to tell yourself, tune that out, right. ignore it. Because truly seeing it is costly. If you see it, if you see it and you acknowledge it, this is what it is, and then you act accordingly and you're faithful to what God's word would call you to do according to what you see, then it's going to hurt. Right. All of us self-deceive. Romans 1 says that pretty yeah. much every human being who is not regenerated, is not been born again, truth. does that. They suppress the truth because seeing correctly the world and yourself and, and your place in it is costly. It, will, it means you have to do something or you have to deny it, and that also is painful. So mm-hmm. ignoring it and pretending it's not there is far easier. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a uh, quote here. I'm just going to see if Wade, if you would read this. It, it's attributed to Martin Luther. I, I've tried to find the original source. I don't know who actually said this thing. Yeah. You can give Martin Luther credit for it. It sounds Luther. I think it was Roseanne Barr, actually. But <laughs> if I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at the, are at the moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However, boldly, I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all the battlefront besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. And you and I talk about this, this illustration all the time, but it's, it's incredibly helpful. If you as a Christian right now are timid about opposing abortion, which is where we're slaught- we have slaughtered 60 million human beings since Roe v. Wade, yeah. um, if, if you are qualifying your opposition to abortion. Now, I'm not saying, and uh, or, or God forbid, using phrases like reproductive justice or something like that. <laughs> you are kidding yourself if yeah. you think you would have stood against chattel slavery in yeah. the 1850s and 60s. You would not have. Everybody, it's super easy to be courageous, quote unquote, about slavery, chattel slavery now. Yeah. Because now all the cultural momentum is against it. Now it doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost anybody anything to fight yesterday's battles. Yeah. And that's what Luther Nobody or pays Roseanne a price. Barr is getting at. Yeah. Nobody pays a price for opposing slavery. Right. Or being anti-racism. Right. I mean, everybody that 
I'm I, I'm not denying that there are racists out there, but every sane person I know yes. will say ethnic vainglory, right? Racial pride, like partiality based on skin color, is sin and wrong, and they're opposed to it. And you can speak in a way that denounces it that seems heroic and courageous. Right. But I'm like, there's no heroism. If I go there. on to a you know the Jimmy Fallon show and I say you know racism is wicked. The audience is either going to clap or they're going to yawn. It, <laughs> like, that's not, duh. Yeah. Everybody acknowledges that. I remember one time hearing a, a pastor, and I, and I understand this impulse. I, I might have done the same thing. But I remember a pastor one time after the George Floyd, um, at, at the time I thought it was a murder. It may still have been a murder, but I'm, I'm less certain of that. But regardless, it's just George Floyd killing. After um, that event, this pastor said from the pulpit, if you're a racist and you even make it to heaven and everybody kind of in the, in the, you know, the sanctuary, they applauded or it, there was some mm. kind of reaction. We're like, man, that, that, that's a powerful statement of truth. That uh, you might not make it. Right. To heaven. Right. If you're it a racist and you even make it to heaven. But then I remember at some point later that day or, or the next day thinking, wait a minute, would we say that about homosexuality? Would we say from the pulpit? If you're a homosexual and you even make it to heaven, no, nobody in America, no pastor in America would have the guts to say something like that. We are super courageous about the sins that the cultural uh, inertia is with us, is with the Bible, is okay with the Bible's teaching on. Racism is wicked. Racial hatred is wicked. That That is absolutely true. But our culture already agrees with us. So it's easy to be supposedly courageous about that. It, whether or not you are courageous, whether or not you, you are actually willing to suffer cost is revealed when it's unpopular. Yeah. When the thing that you want to say is unpopular. We all think we would have been Dietrich Bonhoeffer and opposing (laughs) Adolf. We all think that. Yeah. But you don't know until it's the unpopular thing the Bible says. Yeah. I mean, like, courage, it, courage is not so easy. Right. It, we, we hear the stories of the Bonhoeffers and the other, the martyrs of old, the, right. these, these heroic people, and the stories resonate, right? Because it, there's something within us that loves to be inspired by these bold acts of standing alone and that sort of thing. But... When it actually comes to standing on a, a difficult belief, there's we see now how many people are caving. That's exactly right. On homosexuality, on abortion, like the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade, which was a an a, a the Christians what is a pipe dream, right? Just a few years ago, but to think like man. Roe v. Wade was overturned. Praise and God. Yes. What you and me were like, high five, praise God, hallelujah, that's wonderful. But even then, there's because the the needle yes. has moved so far on the issue of abortion to where we're kind of afraid to celebrate it. And and immediately right. what you saw all over social media is like, hey, don't gloat. That's and it and it's it was so infuriating. I remember seeing a, a Christian uh say something along the lines of, listen. If you want to get all of you people, she said something along the lines of uh, all of you people who are rejoicing, all of you Christians who are rejoicing, you better be willing to take on foster kids tomorrow if you want to be rejoicing. And I remember thinking, so you're t- is, would you have said in 1866 
after right. chattel slavery had been done. Hey, listen, that's great if you want to rejoice, but you better have a plan for all these blacks that are going to be freed here. Yeah. Before you start rejoicing about the end of slavery, you better have a plan for all these blacks. And what was ironic with the, with the abortion thing, which I've heard the same thing. It's like you, you, you're celebrating, you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned, but you know, we better be willing to take in. And I'm like, who are the ones that are doing it now? Right. It's, it's a Christians. Moot, it's a moot point anyway. It's a ridiculous Christians, point. Christians do more foster. They do more adoption. It's a it's a hallmark right. of modern Christians. They are the ones that are doing it. So how how self-righteous. So it's a moot point anyways. But it's just, it was it was insane that a person would think you should not rejoice the fact that it might be less likely that babies will be poisoned and vacuumed out of their mothers and then stripped and sold for parts their carcasses sold for it you should not rejoice that that might happen less until you have a plan now we do have a plan yeah. you're right but it's just it's a ridiculous sentiment and well, it reveals yeah what are they what is the real message there right whenever somebody says hey don't go what's the real message there and i think it's deep down it's layered it's emotional but deep down in a person's soul i think what they're really saying is Please don't celebrate right. in such a way that looks embarrassing right. about Christians because I'm a Christian. We're embarrassed. That's right. Yeah. You embarrass me when you act this way as a Christian and you say things online or in public that associate me with you. And I'm embarrassed of That's that right. because it's costly for me to be associated with other Christians who are living it out that the same boldly. kind of Christian would have been full-throated, absolute condemnation of the January 6th insurrection or of some other event, some other thing, some other sin, some other problem, some other crisis that the elites in our culture are also against. Hey, I'm not worried about being embarrassed on that thing, so we'll go full-throated against mm -hmm. it. But yeah, when it is something that I am slightly ashamed of, that I know I'm going to have to answer for to the the elites in our day. Well, now all of a sudden I want to qualify. I want to tell you to quiet down over there about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. So there is, there's a notable accommodation. You're right about this. Uh, okay, so that, that does a great job of explaining why we're doing this podcast. What about uh, us, though? Why us? Who are we? We're nobody. That's right. We're nobody. Yeah, we are. I mean, I, I, so, I mean, I'll, I'll go first in trying to explain a little bit of, um, of why I think I have some things to say that are useful. Uh, I'm 37 years old. Um, so I'm, a, I'm, what generation does that make me? Uh, You're a millennial. I'm a millennial. Ugh, gosh, it makes me want to, <laughs> I dry heave when I think of that. Um, just own it, man. Yeah, I guess so. So I was born in 85, 1985. Um, I, I, I grew up fairly typically in a Christian home in, in the middle of the, um, that was, that was God's way of making sure I stay honest here and reminding me that he's listening to all the things that I say. Uh, I, I think my story, my biography is probably fairly typical for most of our listeners. My parents are Christians. We grew up in the church. It was in Ohio, which is in the middle of the country. We were middle class. Uh, and so a lot of the things that I say will be easily relatable to to most of our uh, our listeners, uh, but uh, an area where maybe they it won't be um, identical to your story, but it can be useful and instructive for you is that around the age of seventeen, I went crazy liberal in every way you can go. So liberal. when you say you went crazy liberal, that means you were more conservative before that. Uh, I I think I was pretty typical. 
12, 13, 14, 15, I, you know, I, <laughs> some of our evangelical listeners may remember Carmen. Carmen. Or, oh, yeah. Are you uh, A to J? Exactly. Addicted yeah. I, mean, so I was, I was super into all of the Christian media and, and believed the Bible just, you know, totally and, and was willing to own my Christianity. And I remember witnessing to kids in school and, uh, being totally fine with, um, being laughed at for being a Christian and almost wearing that as a badge of honor. Like I, I was probably a pretty typical Bible believing Christian for most of, um, for most of my early childhood and middle childhood. Uh, but by the time I got to high school and I, I remember being a junior or senior in high school, I fell in love with Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, I became much more liberal politically, much more liberal theologically. I never doubted the resurrection of Christ. I think I was genuinely a born again Christian, but I definitely became, if not gay affirming, uh, certainly, hey, the biggest problem is homophobia, not actual yeah. homosexual behavior. Yeah. Um, I, I probably qualified as a feminist, uh, certainly would have had no problem. I remember telling a woman, pastor that she was doing a great job and then it probably was really hard to be a woman and in the ministry um when i was so yeah i know i know now anybody who knows me now is hearing this and they're like are you serious I'm yeah like, i remember you're one of the most conservative guys i know yeah and the, to think of you in that light oh yeah it, it, it really does blow. yeah me. i mean I, I was 17 years old and i remember telling this woman pastor that we were visiting her church in a christian acting group i was in i mean this Christian acting group I was in, maybe somebody from the group is listening to this, but I remember I had they, the director who was very conservative made me, she was furious with me and made me leave the room because I could not sing uh, the words to uh, God bless the USA. Uh, there's a line in there about, and I'd gladly stand up and next, defend. Yeah. Next I, to you. Yeah, defend, exactly. And I was a pacifist and I wouldn't sing those lines. And she got ready. <laughs> Get out of here. And made me leave the, made me leave the room. Cause I wouldn't sing it at a benefit. Concert. <laughs> um, yeah. So for three, four, uh, maybe five years, I, I was, uh, doubted the Bible on evolution, uh, feminist, uh, pacifist. And then, uh, and then slowly through the, through the work of a good conservative Christian church was brought back into, into the fold. And, and, uh, no, when you say conservative, do you mean like MAGA hat Republican? This was pre Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump was a, an entrepreneur back, back in these days when I, so what do you mean by conservative? Yeah. So, uh, 2006, 2007, there was a, a church that believed the Bible. I think it was, uh, it was, it was my father's church plant. And I don't think my father had strong convictions necessarily about, um, complementarianism or what we would call complementarianism, but he believed the Bible and trusted the Lord and, um, everyone in this church did. And so, uh, most of my, most of my liberal, uh, tent pegs just began to topple. Mm. Um, so evolution went out the door and I, uh, I just said, look, the Bible clearly says God made people and made animals. I'm just going to take it at face value and I'll figure out the science later or never. Uh, the Bible really seems to say it is good to have children and that they're a blessing. Uh, so I'm going to marry a woman and we're going to have her stay home and she's going to take care of kids and it's going to be a beautiful calling on her life. And that's what happened. Yeah. Um, the, the Bible seems to ab absolutely denounce uh, sexual sin, including sodomy everywhere. And I'm going to go ahead and accept that. And if my emotions have a problem with that, then my emotions need to get in line with scripture. Those are the sorts of things. Now, I did end up becoming 
uh, more conservative politically in the sense that I, I now would never vote for a Democrat because of their support for abortion, among other things, and the LGBTQ revolution. But that was that's not really what I mean when I say I became more conservative. I mean, I became more conservative uh, in the sense of taking the Bible at face value and yeah. believing its teachings. Orthodox in yeah. my in my well, that, I mean, that is that is the 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 theme of if a person if they have a real strong conviction that the Bible is God's word and it is true in all that it affirms, not in a we put this on our website kind of way, mm-hmm. but it is really a heart level conviction. Then they're going to not be able to continue believing the sort of things that you are believing. Yeah, which that's exactly how it went. I remember. Uh, at the tail end of my liberal phase, I was going to wear a vote Obama t-shirt that I was going to get made in 2000. And this would have been like 2007 before the general election in the worship band that I played in. I was playing bass and I was like, man, I really, I, I love this guy, Barack Obama. And at some point I was like, he supports partial birth abortion, like the murder of babies. Hmm. I, I, I can't, not only can I not support this guy publicly, I can't even vote for him. And by the time 2000, I remember distinctly by the time 2008 rolled around, I voted for John McCain Hmm. because in 2004, I had voted for John Kerry and I was, you know, but my whole, the way that I voted, the way that I wanted to live my life, the way that I wanted to get married and run a household, the way that I wanted to attend a church and the things that I wanted to happen in that church, they all began to be pressure washed by scripture. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a way that my past uh, can hopefully maybe be instructive yeah. for some of our listeners. What about you? Why why are you other than being seven inches taller? What are your qualifications? <laughs> um, well, as, as as you and I have compared our stories over, um, you know, recently, I think on the outside there might have been some similarities, but inside there were there was a different thing going on. For me, there was a, a fear of man. Mm that was what was so it so determined a lot of what I would present externally that um I so I was never I was never the liberal that that you were mm. um you missed out on a lot of fun then <laughs> but uh, there was but I knew that that was I knew what played mm-hmm. and we're in a urban context Cincinnati we're um five blocks for the university of Cincinnati. So this is a, you know, you, you, it's a more of a liberal sensitivities. And so I, I've just sort of buried a lot of my beliefs and I tried to talk myself out of a lot of them. Really? Um, Yeah. I was just like, well, there, there, there are things that, man, it would be a lot more convenient and my life would be a lot easier and simpler. My ministry would be simpler if X, Y, Z wasn't true. Um, and now it wasn't like all the way towards like gay affirming or, uh, Hey, let's have women pastors. It wasn't mm-hmm. quite that far, but there was a part of me that really wanted to, to make as much accommodation as possible. Yeah. Um, and so, but there was, there, I, I was torn. I was torn. Um, hold back on your punches to the right. Right. No, no, I'm sorry. Hold back on your punches to, to the, the left, left, but yeah. go super hard when yeah. you punch right. So if I was addressing an issue that was cherished by the left, uh, I would be very nuanced and winsome. And yeah. I'd be like, oh, I'm not saying this. And well, let me, let me, 
let me give you some examples that will make it a little bit softer mm-hmm. more palatable but if i was denouncing something on the right man i'd go after it right. i would i would spit thunder and people would would love it I'm like man that was so bold mm-hmm. you know if i were if i were preaching something and um there was actually a moment i, I remember this it was it was a dear brother uh in christ who has died actually he died um a year and a half ago, his name mm-hmm. was Brent Foster. And uh, he's an old uh, black man and just the joy of the Lord. He um, he was saved here in our church as, God. A, as an older man. Praise God. Um, baptized here. And then um, we had a funeral for him here when he died. Wonderful mm-hmm. man. He was, um, yeah, I could tell stories about him. But he he said something once that that got to me. Um, he was... He was saying, man, I love how you preach the word. You just preach the word. You don't share opinions. You don't preach opinions. You preach the word. And there was one instance where I had said something, and I knew that I had got to be real careful how I say this. Mm. Um, and then he later told me, and what he meant to be an affirmation. Mm. He said, man, I, you said that, and the way you said it was so, so smooth that mm. I don't see how anybody could have been offended by the way you mm. said that. And I was convicted by his compliment. Yeah. Because what what he was picking up on, I felt like he saw through me. He saw He didn't, but you were convicted. Yeah. Well, I I yeah, I I what he there was a sophistry. Yeah. There was a a uh, a way of communicating something and there's a way that you can do this as a preacher. There are yeah. times you have a little turn of phrase and you're like, "Ooh, that was good," you know. Yeah. Um there was a way that I was able to communicate. I was able to thread the needle and say the hard thing that I had to say because my conscience wouldn't allow me to not say it. But I was able to say it in such a way that it came out uh in the most acceptable, appealing way to where no one would have been convicted. Yeah. Um and it would have, and what what he saw was uh, a, more of a masterful communication. And he came away not glorifying God who denounces sin and yet saves sinners mm-hmm. by the blood of Christ, but he was praising a preacher. That's right. And that, that convicted me. Yeah. And that was one of a number of different instances over a period of time that moved me not so much i'm becoming more conservative but i'm becoming more honest i'm becoming more plain spoken becoming more plain spoken no i'm I'm not going to sheath the word of god i'm not going to the the unvarnished plain spoken truth of god so what you see from elijah on mount carmel right where he's just he's he's mocking their worship of it what maybe maybe he's in the bathroom (laughs) maybe he's taking a leak you know, and and yeah. where we in the present day would we would blanch. I mean, we would be embarrassed and ashamed at somebody's just mockery of yeah. of th- these guys are just it's just their truth. You know, it's just yeah. their uh yeah. That's that's good. Yeah, the sophistry that I had participated in, and that I saw, I was formed by and influenced by, and in, in the the evangelical subculture that I was participating in and had. I'd received training from and mm. looked to for uh, direction. Yeah. Um, I started to see things there that really bothered me while simultaneously noticing that the world is coming apart and there is a need for some clarity on the things that are really pressing, especially it's like, I can't, I, I, I can't be uh, wishy-washy on some of these important yeah. issues because let's say 
you're afraid to speak out and be clear about yeah. homosexuality, your church will be affirming in a short period of That's time. That's exactly right. Because they will they will take their cues from you. And if you don't if and I think a lot of pastors are in for a rude awakening whenever they discover that they have created a culture around them that has no tolerance level at all for the plain spoken word of God. That's right. And whenever you do that, you're in trouble. If so, you uh, one one example that comes to mind of where where plain spokenness uh just where it was highlighted to me how how sorely it's needed and how little we have it. And I, and I mean we. I mean I am not plain spoken enough. Donald Trump, there's not there's a lot to not admire about Donald Trump. I voted for the man the second time, but there's a lot that I do not admire about him and I don't think he's going to heaven. I think he's a born again Christian. Yeah, however, however, there are times where I, I'm like this guy's got He's got more guts than I do, or at least he doesn't know to. <laughs> he has not, no he, filter. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't know to filter the thing um, around. Uh, so he was obviously new to the pro life cause. I don't think he had any like you know moral commitments to yeah. the pro life cause. But in the in the running up to the 2016 election, at some point somebody asked him if women who get abortions should be punished, and he didn't know enough. To, to not say what is actually the right answer, which is, yeah, I think they should be. And so he said, yeah, something along the lines of, yeah, I think women who get abortions, once it's illegal, they should be punished. He said that, which is what we all should say. Once it's illegal, yeah, absolutely, it should. Um, but he, he said it, and of course, a firestorm erupted, and he ended up getting raked over the coals by even people on yeah. the right, because he didn't know enough to be sophisticated and nuanced and qualified. Yeah. You know, the answer he was supposed to say was, look, this isn't about women are victims, too, in an abortion. Yeah. He didn't know enough to give the polite, proper, uh, you know, cocktail party answer. Mm. And his plain spoken answer, which was actually true, ended up causing a lot of problems for him. Yeah. Um, and, and it just it, I remember when that happened. I remember thinking, wow, we really need in that sense. We need more Donald Trumps. In that sense, <laughs> we need people who will just say what's true. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I I agree with you as far as like Donald Trump is. Um, it, It's so funny how people associate conservative Christianity with Donald Trump. Right. Yeah. And, and his, his lifestyle, his personal lifestyle yeah. is in, in many ways, obviously non-Christian. Yeah. And yet in that one particular way, I do think he actually is instructive for a lot of Christians. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to say that which is true. Yeah, plain spoken. Uh, yeah. Well, we have, the two of us have a lot in common. Um, there's, so we mentioned earlier that we're on the staff at the same church. I'm the lead pastor here. I founded the church originally in 2010. Well, I mean, Jesus founded the church. Well, Jesus founded the church. Okay. He is the rock upon which it is built. How, How many Jesus jukes can I work into each? That from now on, that's going to be my goal. Oh, I'm going to Jesus that. juke you that at least be, three times. Per that would episode. be so exhausting. Yes. Wow. So, uh, through by the grace of God, there we go. There we he go. He used me to be uh, his instrument to mm. plant this church. Mm. Um, but. Uh, so I'm. You are on staff here, right? And um, but I'll, 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 I'll. There's a few things we have in common. We made a list earlier. We're both grew up in Middle USA. Wade mm -hmm. grew up here in Cincinnati. I grew up in West Virginia. Yep. Middle class background. We both have Southern Baptist um, mm -hmm. connections. Theologically reformed. Um, As you can tell from our accents, we're both from New Orleans. No, that was a joke. 
That uh, was not a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're both Korean. What? <laughs> uh, we're um, typical white guys. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, a lot of shared cultural and theological interests. We both are worship leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wade. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're okay. Like, you lead worship here. And... We both know seven chords on the guitar <laughs> and can play most Chris Tomlin songs. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we don't do Chris Tomlin. <laughs> no, music. we don't. Um, anyway, so those are, those are some of the similarities between us. Um, but before we go on to the, 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 the last section here, um, I, tell tell us a little bit more about what you do at our church. Yeah, I'm. Uh, so so right now the the primary day to day responsibilities I have involve uh, some of the operational needs of the church, uh, but also small groups supporting our small group ministries. We we you know small groups. I think they're not written out in scripture, but they are a very useful way to do ministry to have people together in homes talking about the application of the particular scripture that was preached that Sunday. Uh, so we we do that, and I write the questions for them, and and help those groups hopefully succeed and bear fruit for years to come. Uh, leading worship most Sundays, uh, and then I'm I'm the number two preacher. Uh, so and I that that's that's my primary uh, joy in life is yeah. teaching and preaching scripture. We home educate our six children, and teaching them scripture is the highlight of my day most days. Uh, and then when I get to preach and teach here, that's one of the highlights of my weeks. Uh, so yeah, we, we have a church probably in the, if you look at it over 10 years, it's probably in that 200 to 300 person space. That's, that's about where, where we fit as a church. And so there's a lot that goes into running a church of that size yeah. uh, and that needs to be handled by more than one person. And that's where currently I come in and, um, enjoy it very much. Yeah. Our, our church is what was, you know, graciously given by, uh, you know, God oversaw that another church would be on its way out and yeah. it had had served faithfully for a number of years, but could not maintain this building anymore. And they gave it to Christ the King. And yeah. so now we're using, we're sitting uh, in what was probably a church balcony yeah. 80 years ago. It was, it was, we, yeah. Yeah, it, but now was it's our a studio oh, for we, King's Domain. So praise God. Yeah. Why don't you um, tell us about just what is the format of this podcast yeah, okay. going to look like? The different... How often are we going to do an episode? What what sort of uh, topics and that right. sort of thing? So usually we'll start off with uh, picks for your fantasy football team that week. No, I'm kidding. Um, well, the, this, the listeners need to know I this. don't want to they, talk the about The listeners need to know this, I way. do not want to talk about that. The, but why not? Fine. Because like, quickly, just explain what's happening. So it's right. the playoffs, fantasy football. Uh, Wade has been dominant, uh, dominant all season until last night. Yeah. Uh, I... I it's a two week playoff so, but my I'm playing Wade in the playoffs, mm. um, and he defeated me. And not only did he defeat me, but with Bengals, which I'm a Bengals fan too. But it's frustrating to have a guy move here from West Virginia. You're <laughs> not even from this town, and you have stolen my team, my city's team, and like just adopted it yourself. You were probably geographically closer to Pittsburgh. No, no. Okay, no, fine. No, no. But you're not even from this state. You're from West Virginia. You move into my state. You move into my city. You steal my city's football team, and then you draft my city's best players, Joe Burrow and T. Higgins, and they do really well last night, and your fantasy football team beats mine. So it's... Yes, very frustrating in a sore spot. I'll get over it eventually. Uh, but generally, no, we will not talk football. We will begin with uh, a, a 
an introduction. Michael will usually do that. He's our lead pastor. He's the leader of this podcast. Then I'll open with a question, uh, and and Michael will never know it. It'll be something he was in the dark on, and it'll hopefully jog some discussion here on yeah. the topic at at hand, uh, which will usually be something in this. It'll always be actually something in this. Um, the the political, social, cultural current that is moving against Christianity. Yeah. Uh, so LGBTQ stuff, critical race theory stuff, the role of government stuff, uh, men, manhood and womanhood and sexuality, uh, the household, how to how to build a proper household, all of those contentious issues, issues where you need to be tethered and anchored as a Christian. We'll have an opening question that will jog some discussion. Then I will, and this has been horrifying to me till the first two episodes we've recorded i'll give you a taste of crazy and the reason why it's horrifying is i will find something that a credible academic or a credible newspaper of record like the washington post or the new york times or the washington post uh uh, i will find something that a credible source in our day and place has to say about the issue we're talking about that episode that is horrifying and terrible and would should make Christians really mm. disgusted. But the reason why we'll bring it to light is we're exposing yeah. where things are going, where they are and where they're going, the trajectory of ideas. So are you going to find something that is totally obscure, that is like the most... Absolutely. That's the goal. Some corner... No, of course not. That, so... Just the most recent episode we recorded, I won't give you what the taste. So we're, we, you're referring to we're, this is the third episode we've recorded, right? But we're we're recording an introduction. This is the first one that will drop, right? So we have recorded two episodes prior, and in one of them, I found a, an academic at Johns Hopkins University who says something that is vile and and uh, in a way that is vile. And I have nothing against this. I'm pretty sure she is a biological woman, but now going as a man. I'm pretty sure, you know, she she did not intend to say something vile, probably doesn't even realize anymore that it is vile, but it is, and it involves uh, pedophilia. And this yeah. is a Johns Hopkins professor. Um, so, so when you show us a taste of crazy, it's not something that is the most obscure, random, no. off the beaten path. You're showing us crazy that is mainstream. Right. And at... At an elite, a high level, yep. it is being supported by our culture. So we're from a .edu website or a .gov website. I mean, yeah. these these are things that you're gonna. That's important because a lot of people. I've noticed this as a pastor. A lot of people don't spend their time looking into and exploring the the sorts of ideas and issues that it's necessary for you or I to look into because it's part of our right. job. Um, by the time they first see it, it is mainstream. <laughs> Yeah, the typical. Yeah. And I understand that. I have a lot of sympathy with that kind of a person. I like ideas. I have been in ministry now for a while. That This is enjoyable for us. It's enjoyable in the sense that we yeah. like talking about these things. They're, we're passionate about them. But a typical man or woman who's raising children, who's, you know, working in a cubicle or working at a, an auto body shop or uh, raising a bunch of young yeah. babies, or they're not going to have time. To, to read what Johns Hopkins University has to say about minor attracted persons. Right. But you and I are setting aside time. And because these things are becoming more mainstream. Right. I would like for the first exposure that people have to be coming from Christian leaders that right. are respected 
and trusted. That's right. And can be accompanied by a biblical worldview and analysis. So we want to give you a taste of the crazy and where things are headed within a, a, a safe in the sense of this is a Christian environment. You're not going to hear something heretical by God's grace. We're going to give you the biblical tools to think through these issues. It's not going to be safe in the sense that there won't be any words or phrases or sentences that make you uncomfortable. <clears throat> there yeah. will be, uh, because these are terrible ideas uh, being said in a way that is terrible. Yeah. Uh, morally I mean, speaking. We, we are committed to, to speaking plainly. Right. So there will be, we're, we're not going to try to dance around and right. bury, we are not going to speak inappropriately. Right. We'll use appropriate discretion as, as you would hopefully expect from Christian men. But we're, we're not going to Correct. sidestep the issue. We're going to speak directly to the issue. So there's going to be discomfort when we use a, a word like sodomy or pederasty, but we are not going to be needlessly, belligerently provocative. We're yeah. not shock jocks. Absolutely. But we want to arm your mind and your heart for what's coming. Uh, and hopefully, ultimately, that's I know it's Christ's return. But in between now and the the parousia there's going to be a lot of battles that we need to wage and we want to help you yeah sharpen your sword and load your gun correctly so that'll be each week we'll we'll start with a taste of the crazy then michael will uh help us get a lay of the land and so this is where uh, for each episode he's going to be 30,000 feet above the battlefield and he's going to be able to tell us where things and and I'll I'll contribute but hopefully where things are uh where where the battle is most uh raging at that moment mm -hmm. and so this is where you'll a lot of times you'll connect some uh, historical and philosophical ideas for us and not in a way that's uh, needlessly academic a typical christian will be able to understand it you're going to speak in a way that's plain but we do need to we do need to get above 2022 or 2023 we need to get above our little yeah you know microscopic uh, spot in time and get a sense of okay this is where this has come from and where it's going. And you'll help yeah. us do that in a segment we'll call the lay of the land. Then we'll dive more deeply each week and we will get a little more specific. This is how this battle is playing out in our day and place uh, and help people understand that a little more clearly. Then each week we want to, or each episode, we want to unmask the sophistry. And what we mean by that, so we'll have a segment called unmask the sophistry. Our goal there is uh, to show people how tricks of vocabulary uh, have moved the needle without them even knowing it. Yep. And just one example um, is the assumption that homosexual is even an identity, a valid human identity to have. Mm -hmm. That's a new modern thing. That is not, throughout human history, the idea of somebody being gay was, was not a normal thing. That, that wasn't assumed. Yep. Sodomy was assumed. People certainly committed male sexual sin and even woman on woman sexual sin but the idea that i am gay and i should be protected because i am gay that mm -hmm. there should be legal protections for my for me as a gay person that's a modern conceit yeah and it's just one example of how you used a, yeah you used another example earlier when you're talking about pedophilia you're right but whenever you were quoting that's the right johns hopkins uh, professor they call it minor minor attracted, attracted persons. persons so it's that you don't you don't get into the stigma of the word pedophilia. That's exactly right. And you give them a, an identity. 
Right. This is it's a you are a minor attracted person. It's who you are. It's who I am. And so you can't uh, I was born be angry at me for it. You can't uh, try. You, you can't stigmatize me for it. And I should be protected as a minor attracted person. That's the, that's an act of sophistry. Yeah. It's concealing what you're doing, even though you are doing something. There, there is a there is a motive. But you the, the human being who's using the phrase minor attracted person because he or she saw it on live with Regis and Kelly or whatever, Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel. They don't even realize. Regis and Kelly, is that still a thing? Oh, no, that's right. Regis retired. Uh, Kelly and Ryan. I think she's got Ryan Seacrest on there with her now. Ryan Seacrest is yeah, on. With... I'm pretty sure that's who it is. It's Kelly How Rick about that? I've re- See, I go back to Regis and Kathy Lee. Yeah. So, Kathy Lee Gifford. Right. And and that was probably a saner show than what we're seeing now. <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, I like Michael Strahan, but I remember seeing Michael Strahan, the clip of him having a on his on his show. I think it was Good Morning America. They had a little boy doing drag dancing. What? Yeah. And, uh, and I, I on Good Morning America. On, yeah. On, on whatever show Strahan was on. I'm pretty sure it was Mike. It was Good Morning America, <sighs> but it was horrifying. But that's how that right there. Just that the fact that that was on television is an act of sophistry on a mainstream morning exactly. program, which you associate on ABC, which is owned by Disney. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. But so this is that that act right there having what, you know, 50 years ago, 20 years ago would have been seen as an act of child abuse, having that be clapped for and and yeah, celebrated. Approved, and a, yeah. That is an that is itself an act of sophistry. And so we want to unmask it. Then we'll bring to bear Bible-saturated Christian thinking uh, on the, the issue of the episode. Uh, and what we mean by that is we're going to use Scripture. We're going to go first and foremost to Scripture. That is the final rule uh, and authority over our lives, over our church, over our thinking. But we're also going to, as we bring the Bible to bear, we're also going to go to um, Christian tradition over 20 centuries here. We've had men like Augustine and Mm-hmm. Uh, Tertullian and John Calvin and Theodore Beza and Martin Luther, uh, J.C. Ryle, countless men who have informed the way that we approach the world and the way that we look at the world. And they can, they can shed quite a bit of light on our mm-hmm. current confusions because they didn't have them. Yeah. Well, G.K. Chesterton called it the democracy of the dead. Right. And I love that because he's saying dead voices from the past get a vote and they should and they should because they don't have our same blind spots now certainly they had their own right but their blind spots were different from ours and whenever we need to see where we are blind in our day we have to look outside of ourselves because the blindness and the 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 deception is so thick yeah so you you mentioned i mean like the word sodomy even as you said that earlier we all cringe. I it's even like, cringe. I, I cringe. I, I'm like, ah, oh, oh, that way, that word. But it's, but you look back for I, 1900 years of Christian history. It wouldn't bat an eye. And for 5,000 years of recorded human history, most people, the equivalent of the use, the equivalent word in their language, like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a crime. That's, yeah, people do it, but they shouldn't. And when they do, we usually penalize them for it. Yeah, but that's, you we need to hear how if if you if you look at how a church the the church his, historically has right. spoken about a given issue and see what language did they use how did they approach it what did they assume to be true assume to be false and you see how what how do they testify to that issue 
it can help show in, in any points where you feel squeamish or uncomfortable, right. because I can assure you, Wade and I, we feel, we feel it too. Oh, totally. We're, 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 we're sensitive men that are, that are not cold blooded. It's like, right. we feel the discomfort. We're not the, shock jocks by nature. No, no. It's like, yeah. I am, I am a winsome, uh, sophisticate right. by nature that's, I want to sound good. I want to appear erudite and intellectual and sophisticated. And that is that is what we're trying to not do because that is how deception can be smuggled in. You have to speak plainly. Um and so I just the it, it is important that we listen to history and we bring this word of God to bear. Of course, the word of God is always direct. Right. But you also listen to the democracy of the dead and let them have their say. Men who read the Bible just as we read it, you know, not, I don't mean literally the exact same way, but they read the same Bible we we're reading and they had to deal with unbelievers and believers and they had to deal with raising children and being husbands and being fathers and were able to reach conclusions that to us seem shocking or weird, but probably were in, in a lot of areas saner and yeah. wiser yeah. Uh, than ours. So each week or each episode, we'll do that. Then Towards the end, uh, we have two segments that we'll do most episodes that I are, I, I would argue might be as important as anything else we'll do, which is we want to look at the logs and specs in our own eyes and in our own uh, church's eyes and in our own, uh, you know, the Christian world's uh, eyes, and we want to deal with those. And then lastly, we want to end on a note of hope. What reason each episode we want to end? Uh, what reasons do you have, Michael, for hope? and for optimism and for not, you know, childish Pollyanna, you know, just everything's going to turn out okay. Yeah. But actual grounded reasons for hope from scripture and from what you're seeing. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll try and weigh in as much as I can. Yeah. So that'll be the typical format. We'll walk through those uh, landmarks uh, each episode. And as we do so, I think the, the listener, you'll benefit. Yeah. So we'll probably, um, it's a long form podcast. Mm -hmm. We generally 16 hours, about as long as it takes to watch Gone with the Wind. That's how long <laughs> each episode. Um, it's, it's about two hours an episode. So we want to we want to have enough time to develop the ideas and the thoughts um, without feeling overly rushed. Right. Um, so an hour and a half plus the songs. The songs. Yeah, it's a music. Oh, I haven't told you that yet. OK, yeah. So we'll. Each episode, we'll also write our own, kind of like a Disney, like Lion King, and on a musical number. Okay, well, um, we'll we'll follow your lead on that, yeah. and I will laugh at you and make fun of you. Um, we'll we'll aim for about two a month, and uh, we'll we'll be dropping several episodes to begin, um, and then try to keep them coming about, yeah, uh, twice a month, uh, and probably uh, you'll. So, you know, as we're talking in 2022, there will be issues that will find their way into what we say that that may not. Uh, you may be listening to this in 2024 or 2025. And, oh, that's right. I forgot that happened in 2022. But generally, we will try to to refrain from things that will date the episodes and make them unuseful to you five yeah. years later. We want them to be useful for a long period of time. But of course, we're talking about things that are happening right now. And so you might hear a news story or a, an event referenced that may be unfamiliar to you uh, if you're listening a year or two later. Uh, but I think we'll 
will still be instructive yeah. uh, even long after the event may have yeah. may have ended. All right. Well, in closing, um, why don't we why don't we say this? Listen, I I hope, listener, that you benefit from this as a Christian. I hope that you're already born again and that you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and that the things that you're hearing here sanctify you, make you more like him. Um, but if you're not, if you are an unbeliever and you're listening to this, our goal is that you would hear the truth spoken to you in such a way that you understand it. It's mm-hmm. intelligible to you. But most importantly, that you uh, are pricked and that your conscience would would be pricked and that you would realize that Jesus Christ loves to save sinners of whom you are one. And Michael and I both were born exactly where you are, dead yep. in our sins and trespasses. Amen. And we, we hope that as you hear about Jesus Christ, you see not only that he is uh, wise, but that he is good. Not only that he speaks truth, but that he speaks it lovingly. And hopefully through us, your, your humble hosts here. So yeah. we will see you next time.